The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Good evening. Praise God, it's good to be here this evening. You know, I would just like to take a moment, as John uh, talked about, this weekend has been chosen, and for a number of years we've prayed uh, for the sanctity of life. And I, I want to say that through your giving and your tithes and offerings, we also, on behalf of Maranatha Chapel, make a donation to that ministry that is reaching out to young women and uh, giving them alternatives, giving them practical help. Uh, they're, they're, they always need, you know, options. And we want to be able to provide those, of course, counseling, encouragement, and prayer. And uh, it's a great opportunity. I hope you will uh, also be involved in that. So uh, I'd like to ask us all to stand as we open tonight in prayer. Let's pray for the sanctity of life, the preciousness of life. We also want to be praying for, um, you know, the, the virus that as it continues, uh, I know that there are many in Maranatha Chapel that are part of the medical community, and I, I want to pray for them right now. There's a lot of uh, cases and, and a lot of uh, stress and there's doctors and nurses and technicians of all kinds, and so I want to lift them up because I, I hear that they're tired and weary, and so let's, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening, and we want to pray, first of all, for lift up, uh, Lord, the sanctity of life. Lord, we want to express to you tonight that we honor the preciousness of life the gift of life. And Lord, we pray uh, that tonight, uh, without condemnation, we thank you that you are a gracious God, a loving God, a healing God, a forgiving God. Lord, we, we pray for those who have uh, uh, suffered either mentally, emotionally, spiritually, having gone through this, we pray for their healing. We pray, Lord, for uh, a spiritual healing of their heart, and we thank you, Lord, that you are a redeeming Father, that we can reach out uh, to young couples and or young women and listen to them and love them and encourage them and bless them and help them and, and give them options, Lord. We pray that the option of life uh, to preserve every precious little boy and girl coming into this world. So we pray that we honor all of those who are involved in that ministry and in that outreach and work. And Father, we also want to lift up those who are uh, involved in various ways with the medical community. The, we pray for the doctors, we pray for the physicians' assistants, we pray for the nurses, we pray for the technicians, we pray for those, Lord, who give uh, care to those who are suffering and sick. We, we remember all of those who are suffering tonight in any way physically. We thank you that we believe in a God of healing. And we pray for healing and for health. And, Lord, that you would pour your spirit out. But we also want to remember those who are battling this virus. Lord, touch them, heal them, watch over them, protect them, strengthen them, encourage them and comfort them. And now, Lord, may we hear what the Spirit would say to the church tonight. And we thank you, Lord, as we look forward to hearing your word. In Jesus' mighty and wonderful name, we pray and ask all of these things. And everyone said, 
Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And uh, oh, you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. Now, last week, I kind of started off with a, a kind of an illustration for all the challenging times we're going through, and we seems like continue to weekly go through challenging times. So, uh, But tonight, instead of starting, as I did last week with Moses uh, being called by God, leading the children of Israel, and God led them into a place where it seemed like they were trapped. Uh, they couldn't go left, they couldn't go right, they couldn't go backwards, they couldn't seemingly go forward. And Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Amen? And the Hebrew word salvation is Yeshua. His name means salvation. I just love that, that Moses was saying in Hebrew, even before Jesus was born, stand still and see Yeshua, the Lord. So anyway, we're going to, um, rather than starting with all of that, I, I've got something at the end of this study. We're going to actually look at verses uh, 32 through 43, and the title of the message tonight is Divine Unity. Uh, and we're switching a little bit. We've been talking about the Apostle Saul and the road to Damascus. He gets saved. He meets the disciples in Jerusalem. Uh, starts preaching the gospel. And then he has to be sent home for a season. Uh, but tonight we continue with, we go back now to Peter. So the book of Acts kind of follows uh, Peter and John. And then it follows Saul, and then it now is coming back to Peter for a little bit. So that's where we begin. And we're going to see a healing and a resurrection from the dead in the early church. So beginning with uh, verses 32 through 35, a great miracle, the healing of the body. So we read in verse 32, now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt at Lida. And geographically, that is uh, near the modern city of Tel Aviv, if you know where that is, in Israel. And so Peter has gone through all parts of the country, and he's now come to the saints. That means there are Jewish believers who are now in Lida, not Jerusalem, but the gospel is spreading. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus, the Christ, heals you. Or Jesus, the Messiah, is healing you. Arise and make your bed. And then he arose immediately. And so all who dwelt at Leda and Sharon, the valley there, saw him and turned to the Lord. Here's another miracle and another healing, and the miracle healing of this man Aeneas opened the door for many to not only hear the gospel, but to become believers and followers of Jesus Christ. So Jesus had chosen Peter to be the apostle specifically to the Jewish people. And it was his duty to reach out to Jewish believers wherever they were throughout Israel. So now the Jewish believers started obviously in Jerusalem, but as persecution began to come in Jerusalem, believers started scattering and going all through the country. 
So Peter is going out to find believers where they have been scattered to be able to preach to them and teach about Jesus wherever he could. And while he's out on this missionary journey, uh, he encounters a tragic need, a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and he was bedridden for eight years. I want you to imagine this, picture this in your mind. This poor man, Aeneas, we, we don't really know anything about him. We don't know his occupation, his station in life, but his situation is as critical as it gets. And those who were caring for him were hopeless. They were helpless. But Jesus is about to break in because he is not dead but he is alive and he is still doing miracles just as he had done for three and a half years. Now, months later, more healings in the name of Jesus, the Messiah. And he's gonna turn things around miraculously. And one, I want you to notice, this wasn't like some big stadium full of people with thousands of healings and miracles. It was one man in one family and one home and it was one healing, one miracle, but the word spread all through that region, which is near the coast of the Mediterranean in ancient Israel. And so while this man may have seemed insignificant and unimportant on the bigger scale, he was important to the Lord. And God was looking down and he saw this man, Aeneas, and he saw him paralyzed and he saw that he's, his condition for eight years and we read how when Jesus would encounter people that are suffering physically, even before he healed them, we read what happened to Jesus emotionally. It says, and Jesus was moved with compassion. Now, we believe that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he still heals people. Amen? So God can heal you wherever you are, whatever you are suffering through, and that's why we've been laying hands on people and praying for people and God has been healing people. But I want you to know that one of, you know, so you're saying, well, and some of you have been praying for people, family and friends, and God has been healing them. One of the keys to healing, one of the keys to having an effective prayer that results in the miraculous is having compassion. It's not just doing something supernatural, but it's actually being a human being and being moved by another person's uh, situation. And we can only imagine what it was like for this man, Aeneas, who'd been paralyzed, he's unable to walk, which means now his family is having to care for him, and he's humbled, uh, and it has been eight years. And I love what we read here. Peter, verse 34, said to him, Aeneas, he called him by name. The Lord knows our names. He called him by name. Aeneas, Jesus, Yeshua, the Christ, the Messiah, heals you. In other words, he gave a command. He said, the Lord Jesus is healing you right now, Aeneas. But he didn't just stop there. He says, now, rise and make your bed. So what do we learn about, you know, how, how can we also go out and do and see signs and wonders and miracles or whatever. Number one, the exercise of faith. And as Peter trusted, he had been with Jesus. He had seen Jesus give the word and give the command. And that's the exercise of faith. Aeneas, Jesus, the Christ, is healing you right now. He spoke a word of faith 
and of confidence. I believe Peter prayed, Lord, is it your will to heal this man? Yes, speak my name. Aeneas, Jesus the Christ is healing you right now. And he didn't just stop there about being healed, but he immediately says, now get up, rise up and make your bed. Where you have been confined, where you have been maybe drowned in your anxiety and fear and depression, I want you to stand up right now, fold that little bed up, throw it over your shoulder and start walking. And he did, hallelujah. Our God is an awesome God. So exercise faith, trust in the Lord, speak words of faith and watch God do great and mighty things. So a great and mighty miracle happened and then the gospel began to spread. Now let's go to verses 36 through 43 and this is where we're going to finish this chapter of Acts chapter 9. Again, it's another story related to Peter. Now, what we're going to see here is, in verses 36 through 43, a greater miracle. So God has just done one miracle, healing a lame man. Now he's going to do a greater miracle. Listen to this, raising the dead. (laughs) But, you know, it's easy to think, well, okay, when Jesus was here and he's raising dead people, he's the Messiah, he's the incarnation, he's the, you know, he's the Lord. But now Jesus is up in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, it's just Peter. But now God is going to do what he had done with Jesus while he was on earth through one of his followers and apostles and disciples named Peter and raise someone from the dead. So beginning in verse 36, it says at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. (laughs) Now, you know, the name loses something translating from the Hebrew uh, to the Greek, you know, we, we say dorks or whatever and it doesn't sound nice, but, but in Hebrew, her, her name was Tabitha, but she was Jewish and she had a Greek uh, name, which a lot of the Jewish people wanted their Greek names, but, so her name was Tabitha and this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. So she's a woman that is a part of the believers Uh, that are there at the city of Joppa, which is on the Mediterranean coast of Israel, there by the Mediterranean. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Leda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, probably heard, hey, did you hear the guy that was lame for eight years? And he got raised up and he was paralyzed and he got healed and Peter just spoke the word. Aeneas, Jesus the Christ is healing you. Pick up your bed and walk. So they're like, well, you know, that's not too far away from our city. It'd be like the next city over. Let's go get Peter and have him come for this poor woman named Tabitha, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room and all the widows stood by him weeping showing the tunics and the garments which Tabitha had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out, and then he knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, He presented her 
alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. And so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon the Tanner. So I love this beautiful story. I love it that the Lord is still raising the dead. He not only is doing great miracles of healing bodies, but he is literally doing even greater miracles of raising the dead. So this faithful, beautiful believer named Tabitha, her name means gazelle. The gazelle is known for its slender features, its grace and loveliness, its bright eyes and tender looks. And apparently her name fit her character. She was uh, one of those beautiful women, not just in outward appearance, but beauty of character, beauty of spirit. Uh, she was very generous. She was very giving and she was very gifted and talented. In those days when you made something, a clothing that was handmade like that, it was very wealthy, very valuable. And she administered to many that were in need. And she was a great believer. She was a tremendous uh, addition to the ministry of that church. She was full of kindness and great compassion. And she ministered to so many people. And yet, tragically, she dies. Now, it seems like, though it doesn't necessarily give the age, it, she was kind of, you know, a woman that had a whole life and future ahead of her. It, it seems that she died right in the middle of being the most fruitful and being able to minister to people when she was so needed. And the believers were crushed and they were absolutely in despair and discouraged. But I want you to notice something interesting because it tells us a little bit about the early church. So if you know anything about Jewish culture, when somebody dies and they're pronounced dead, uh, because of their religious beliefs and understanding, the idea is you want to get that dead person buried as quickly as possible. So what we're reading here, if once you know that and understand it, and maybe some of you have uh, Jewish friends or you're somewhat familiar with that, then this is a very interesting telling story because these are Jewish people in ancient Israel who happen to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but instead of rushing to bury her, to give her a proper burial and, you know, then they're faith and belief in the hope of the resurrection at the last day when the Messiah comes. Instead, they washed her body and then they carried her dead body to an upper room and they just began to pray and maybe to weep and to wait on the Lord. That's very un-Jewish-like. Why are they doing that? I think it was a combination of we don't want to believe that she's dead and we don't want to let her go and we are believers in Yeshua of Nazareth who raised the dead and they said hey we just heard about a supernatural healing of a man paralyzed for eight years everybody's talking about it up and down the coast Peter one of the apostles is just at the next town so they carried her body and they laid it down on a little bed in an upper room and were there crying and grieving and praying. And then two guys are sent to the next city to get Peter. Peter, Peter. There's this beautiful woman named Tabitha 
and she's so gifted and so generous and she's still got, she's young, she's got life. And anyway, they took her to an upper room and could you come pray? And so Peter said, well, okay. So he comes down and then he, you know, listens to them talk all about her, who she was, her character, uh, her giftedness, how much she meant to the people. And he too realized that they had faith, that they had washed her body and then brought her up into this bed in the upper room. And Peter went into that room and he said, everybody get out. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Do you ever remember Jesus doing that? I want everybody else out. Why? Well, the original story of Jesus, Peter learned this from Jesus. It was a behavior he had seen Jesus do one time when there was somebody that was dead and there were people that were there and Jesus said, oh, she's not dead and she's alive. And people started laughing, which is kind of odd. It's somebody dies and then, but they were laughing incredulously. What are you talking about? And then Jesus said, get out, all of you. Very interesting. If you're laughing at a wrong time like this, you're obviously not a believer in the power of my Father in heaven. And therefore, I don't want any doubters. I don't want any unbelief. I don't want any of that darkness in this room. Go out. And then Jesus alone. And then he talks to his Father. And then he speaks. That's exactly, Peter is imitating Jesus from the Gospels. All the doubters, get out. If you doubt, you get out. But if you believe, you can receive. The Lord can do great things. And so Peter went in and he prayed. Now it doesn't tell us what he prayed or how he prayed or what he said, but I'm sure he just prayed, Lord, what is your will? What, how do you want me to pray? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Do you want me to do what I saw you do earlier in our ministry? And somehow the Lord spoke to Peter and gave him courage. And the next thing you know, man, I, whoo, for Peter. I mean, he, he healed the lame man, Peter and John, on the way into the temple. And now he's healed another paralyzed man of eight years. Wow, that's amazing. But now, now, how many would agree we're going to another level when there's a dead girl laying on a, you know, bed in the upper room and he does exactly what Jesus did did he says Tabitha arise or Tabitha wake up <laughs> I love that she, he didn't acknowledge that she was dead he just acknowledged she was sleeping because believers don't really die Jesus took the punishment for our sins by dying on the cross in our place. So as a believer, we will never die in the sense of that death is separation from God. We fall asleep and then we awake in the presence of the Lord. Can I hear an amen on that? How beautiful. So the worst thing that can happen to you is you fall asleep. I like sleeping. The older I get, the more I like naps. You know what I mean? And I would love to wake up in the presence of the Lord. Peter did exactly what Jesus had taught him, and he boldly demanded, Tabitha, get up. Tabitha, arise. And she did. So the Lord has done a miracle of healing of a body, and then he has done the raising and resurrection of a girl from the dead. How do you, you know, you can only imagine how that story began to circle from the coast all the way back to Jerusalem, all the way back up to Galilee, and all through the nation of ancient Israel.
Okay, we're gonna stop there for just a moment. I have one more thing that I wanna share with you in closing. And that is about the name of God, Elohim. So I wanna kinda wrap up, instead of beginning you know, with all the things going on, I kinda wanna wrap up with it. Um, I wanna give you a word of hope and a word of comfort, a word of encouragement. And we need, we need a divine healing, a divine unity. But, but we need something that is a, a supernatural unity. We're not going to be unified through politics. Would you agree with that? But we can be unified in the Lord God. And so I want to talk to you about the name of God, Elohim, the strong, faithful one. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When it says in the beginning, God, the name for God is Elohim. And what I want you to know is that that Hebrew word Elohim is a plural name. So literally in Hebrew, uh, the, you know, also whenever the Old Testament, it says the God of Israel, it's the Elohim of Israel, but that name Elohim means plural. Or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the true God, the true Elohim. This name, Elohim, is used 2,500 times in the Old Testament. And again, in Hebrew, Elohim, everybody say Elohim. Elohim. You're all speaking Hebrew. That is the name of God. And Wow, it's good to know the names of God. This is one of the mighty names of God, Elohim. But it's a plural word. In English, it should be translated capital G-O-D-S. Because that's, it's plural. The grammar would dictate that you translate it gods. Because it's Elohim. And it's, it's actually the im, the I-M on the end that is like our S, which would be God's. When, ad, when added, I am, Elohim, means plural, plural. So when you read about a cherub, which is a certain kind of angel, you're talking about one angel, it's a cherub. But if it's more than one, it's cherubim. If you talk about a seraph as a single rank of angel, it's a seraph. But if there are more than one, it's seraphim. Cherubim, seraphim, angels, Elohim, gods, but no, it's translated as God. So let me ask this question. Why, if Elohim is plural, does every Bible around the world translate it God singular? The answer is not in the grammar, because grammar would say we should translate it as God. It's plural. But the answer is found in theology. It's found in the Bible. If there is one dogma that all practicing Jews ascribe to, it is what is called their Shema, which means to hear. And it's taken from Moses the lawgiver. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 says, Hear, which is Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. For God is one Lord. So it's this bedrock verse with its pronouncement that God is one, that Israel built her entire monotheistic view of God upon. 
And if this belief in the oneness of God, it is this belief in the oneness of God that contributes more than anything else to the Jewish race being distinct from and morally higher than the surrounding polytheistic nations. Because all the other nations, the ancient Canaanites believed in gods, many gods. And it's like, you know, my God's bigger than your God. And everybody would compete with their, there was a God of every mountain, every, you know, uh, place and land and uh, the sky and gods, 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 gods. So the Jewish people really stood out because they were the only people who said gods. No, there are not gods. There's only one God. And that one God, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And may I say to you that if you have Jewish friends, this truth above all others has put or kept them, the Jewish people, from believing or accepting Jesus as Savior. To see Jesus as a great man, that's easy for Jewish people. To see him as an outstanding teacher, maybe, and many do. As Messiah even, possibly. But as God, never. And what they would say to us is, we have one God. You Christians have three gods. You call it the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So a deeper examination of the Shema of Israel here, O Israel, the Lord our God, Elohim, is one. So the Hebrew word translated one is called echad. So try to say that. Look at me and watch me say it. Echad. So you say it with me. Echad. You can't just say echad <laughs> like a fish, but echad. Come on, give me a little Hebrew. Echad. Okay, good. Now, this word is used in the Bible as a uniplural word or noun. And sometimes means a oneness but in plurality. Now we're going to go right from the Bible. So I want you to look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Let's read this out loud together. They too shall be one flesh. The word for one is echad. Adam and Eve. It's talking about Adam and Eve. We're two different people. They both have their own personalities. They They have their own bodies. They have their own personal intellect, emotions, and will. They both think, feel, and act. They exist uniquely, but Adam and Eve, they too, according to the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, they too are echad. One, but a plurality. So it's very interesting that two can actually be echad, or one. Now here's what's also interesting. Look with me at Judges Chapter 6, verse 16. This is about a story of a man named Gideon. You guys have all heard about Gideon, right? When Gideon led a band of 300 men against the Midianites, God said this. Let's read it out loud. Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man, Echad. Now, if that doesn't blow your mind... Okay, it's one thing to go, okay, so two can be one, but now, according to the Bible, that word echad 
says 300 can be one. You will go out and you will fight and you will win as a chad or one man. So I want to wrap this up because I want to make it practical. Elohim means strength and faithfulness. Elohim, he's a, he is the most mighty God. He's the most powerful God. He is the God of creation. Again, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens, the earth, the galaxies, the stars, the universe, which we still have not seen the end of it. It takes tremendous power to create. And that's why Elohim has all power, sovereign power, irresistible power, creative power. There is nothing he cannot do. Do you hear me? And that same Elohim that is known for having all power, the word Elohim also means faithful. Meaning this, the God who has all unlimited power, who can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, when he speaks or when he gives a promise or when he gives a covenant, he is a faithful God. You better bank on it. If he said it, it's going to happen. He's going to do it. He has the power to keep his promises. So when God says, I will remember your sins no more. That's a promise. And God says your sins will be put as far away as the east is from the west. And I will remember them no, no more. Can I hear an amen? Hallelujah to that. Now there is a divine echad that can come to the body of Christ. John chapter 17. We've got one more scripture to share. John chapter 17 verse 21. The whole chapter is about divine oneness, divine unity, divine echad. And we can have that with the Lord and with the Holy Spirit. It is, well, I'll talk about it in a sec. Let's read it out loud together. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Echad. That's the concept. Even though this is in the New Testament, the idea is we can be one. As Jesus said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me and I and my Father are one. Father, I want to give that same unity now to all of those who believe in you, that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, I'm going to close with this. I'm going to ask Jimmy and the worship team to come up. But I want to, I want to say this to you, that um, this is what the Lord, you know, you're saying, well, okay, interesting. Why are you sharing that, all of that about Elohim and oneness? Well, I, I want you to expand your understanding of what that beautiful unity, because the... The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are not three gods. It's not one plus one plus one. It's one times one times one equals one. But such a divine unity, even two, Adam and Eve can be one, echad. 
even 300 for Gideon can be as one Echad. Jesus said, Father, as you and I are one Echad, so we can be one with them and they can be one with one another. So here's what I want to say. I believe that God is ready to bring his church into a divine experience of that oneness that is divine. It doesn't come from the outside. It is something that is revealed that you experience and enter into on the inside. And you're not alone. And your God, Elohim, so mighty and so powerful, every good thing he has determined to do with you and for you as his eternal son or daughter, he is faithful and he's going to accomplish it. He will do it. And there's not a thing the devil or anybody else can do to take that away from us. His kingdom will come. His will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. The king is coming. He's bringing his kingdom. And we're living in those days where we can look up and say, Come, O Lord Maranatha. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.